watching the children come forward with their palm branches took me back to when I was a child doing the exact same procession in church. And I always remember the anxiety of the adults who were overseeing us to try and make sure that we did not put each other's eyes out or stick the palms up somebody's nose. Luckily, in none of the processions I've been associated with have we had a fatality. A few minor injuries, yes, but no fatalities. It is a procession of joy and celebration and even laughter. And it is a procession that is part of our ritual as a church. The gospel accounts build into that, of course, for that is how we build on top of it. But there is some differences. There are some differences in these accounts that warrant our understanding. As we hear the account from the Gospel of Luke, let us pay close attention to how he describes this Palm Sunday for Jesus. In the 19th chapter, beginning in the 28th verse, after he had said this, that is, he had just told them a parable, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. His whole ministry was about going up to Jerusalem in the end. And when he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on it, they set Jesus on top. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, Jerusalem, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This is the reading from the word of the Lord. Until 1995, the biggest parade I had ever seen was Charlotte's version of the Macy's Day Parade called the Carousel Parade. It happened in Thanksgiving afternoon, and after eating our lunch, we would all go up to watch it uh, in toto from beginning to end. It, it, it wasn't near as big as the Macy's Day Parade, but I had only seen the Macy's Day Parade on our television set, which when I was eight years old was one of those sort of flat-topped, flat-bottomed, round-edged, 10-inch screens in black and white. So the drama of that parade was greatly diminished. However, in person, in live, at this carousel parade, I was overwhelmed by how large it was. 
the bands, the crowds, the clowns, the Shriners weaving in and out in their motorcycles and, uh, and vehicles of some sort with hats on. Uh, finally, I, the denouement of the whole parade when uh, people would start clamoring beforehand and my personal hero, Fred Kirby, on his horse, his great steed horse, Calico, would seen, be seen riding up with a six-shooter on one side and the American flag in his hand on the other. And all the crowds would bow down and wave and cheer as Fred Kirby drove, uh, rode by. It was the high moment of the parade. And as I said, the largest one I had ever seen until 1995, which, as you remember, was the year the Atlanta Braves won the World Series in Atlanta. And they orchestrated a parade to beat all parades. Actually, the parade itself wasn't that impressive, but the crowds were. It pretty much stopped the city. Everyone was there unless you were ill and in the hospital or you were a sour loser transplant from Cleveland. There were a few high school marching bands. The mayor and the governor, I think, was sitting on the back of the proverbial convertible luxury car waving and smiling at everybody as they drove by, followed by Chief Nakahoma. Then the Braves, riding high, styling, waving, smiling, cheering crowds, must have been a million of us, lined up six deep down Peachtree Street. Then comes Bobby Cox, Marcus Grissom, crime dog Fred McGriff, David Justice, Chipper Jones, an assortment of other great players. And then Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. Doesn't get any better than that. The energy at the parade was way more than any I had ever seen in my whole life, and it took us an hour and a half to get the four miles back to work. Contrast that with Luke's account of Jesus' parade into Jerusalem. In Luke's version, there weren't even any palms, did you notice? Only cloaks. And the only folk there were mostly just the disciples and groupies. There were some religious folk I'll mention in a minute. And it all seemed to be this sort of prearranged orchestration, this parade that took place in front of them as Jesus awkwardly rode a colt into the gate of Jerusalem that was seldom used, known as the East Gate, the Back Gate, to a very small crowd of 30 or 40 folk. It was a cult because the prophet Zechariah had prophesied that he will come riding in on a colt. In John's Gospel, there are palms, and instead of a colt, he's riding a donkey. But for Luke's account, it's a colt. That's a young horse, not yet adult age. And it was Passover time there, and Jews from all over Israel and from all over the country had literally chosen to make their journey to Jerusalem. It was their pilgrimage for Passover. And so the city streets were teeming with people from everywhere to celebrate the liberation of Israel from the hands of the Egyptian task massacres and the hands of the Pharaoh that they worked under. Some scholars say that they were 
not at this parade because they were probably conscripted to go down to the west gate, the gate on the other side of the city, the victory gate, the large gate, where because of Passover, Pilate, King, excuse me, Governor Pilate, was riding in on his chariot, followed by two divisions of Roman soldiers on their stallions. And the people were all down there, having been paid or scared into going, shouting their own, Hail Pilate, King, Hail Caesar, Lord, King of Kings, Nazi style. Think about that contrast then. All this bravado from the greatest superpower on earth staged as a show of force to shock the Romans, no, excuse me, the Israelis, the Jews, into keeping in place and to towing the line in a sort of shock and all Roman style in order to intimidate them so that they would not lose order, create chaos, cause problems during the Passover season. While in the back of the city, Jesus rides in on a lowly colt, this lone, gentle-looking man surrounded by a few harmless-looking groupies as they proclaimed, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Luke doesn't want us to miss the ironic twist here. This Charlie Chaplin-esque parade that Jesus had seemingly staged was in some way a mockery of all the ways that the world's powers and superpowers, the powers and principalities, think about how you keep peace. Arranging beforehand with the owner of the cult to have it ready, sending his disciples ahead to procure it, he rides in as Pilate on the other side of the city rides in, too, to thunderous crowds. King, king. Peace, peace. But a different kind of peace, of course. And not just on earth, they proclaim, but in heaven. In all places seen and unseen, in all cosmic wholeness, in all that is, was, and ever shall be, in all material and immaterial, heaven, that is to say the totality of all God's creation, king of heaven, in this one little one-person puny parade. Really. Maybe they thought that under his mild-mannered appearance, like Clark Kent lurked a superman who, when the time came, could dash into an alley and come dressed for battle. They had seen him heal lepers, bring sight to the blind, turn a few measly fish and a couple of loaves of bread into a meal for thousands. Certainly, he could show them now what a real king looked like. Certainly, the religious temple authorities were anxious. They feared, at least, that they might be considered conspirators, as this one named Jesus wrote in, so they ordered him to stop. But Jesus instead scolded them in a strange way, saying that if he were silent, these very stones would cry out. We know how it tragically ends five days later on Good Friday. There was no Iron Man contraption or super cape 
to jump into. No Hulk who would be transformed in the midst of him or Captain America or any other superheroes who would swoop down and save him, Deus Ex Machina style. Only this very human, very, very human man whose suit was not one of armor but of suffering flesh and whose peace was bound up in the largest cosmic crisis and conflict in history, his crucifixion. This is the irony of this Palm Sunday that we celebrate, at least for those of us who claim to be his followers. We too sing Hosanna, the refrain that has echoed down through history from the first prophet back in Zechariah's time through the psalmist to those angels in the sky when Jesus was born that first Christmas in Bethlehem, to the disciples standing on the side of the road as Jesus entered into the city, and now to us. Year after year, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. We sing it the week before Holy Week, our holiest week of the year. And what are we claiming in the singing of it? Just this and nothing more. The only way to this peace is the way of Christ. It is the way of humility and not strength, of forgiveness and not vengeance, of servanthood and not royalty, of suffering and not conquering, of reconciliation and not revenge, of love and not power. It's the only way. This is God's way witnessed to us through this one Jesus Christ. And inasmuch as we claim to be a follower of his, that is to say, the church, the body of Christ, it is the only way for us, too. This is what's so powerful about our new Pope, Francis. Our new Pope, and we can say that, who is trying to remind a very power-laden, top-heavy institution of the church today that knows how to throw a parade in exactly the right gates to enter into in order to make a big splash. He's trying to remind them of what it means to reclaim the way and humility of Christ. But before we get too self-righteous, we're just as guilty as Protestants in our own way. I found an ordination book in the historical files. Rebecca, Rogers, thank you for keeping those. And I promise to you in front of all this congregation that I will put it back. Which is, by the way, a reminder for all of you who you've got something out to put it back. I found this ordination and installation service written for us in 1965, done by a professional printer. It's on white linen paper. It's 10 pages long. It's more of a book than a bulletin. It is in black and red. It lists all the legions of ushers and elders and deacons and other church offices that they are holding up to be ordained and installed and commissioned. And I want to say that at its time it was probably appropriate But today, when the institution of the church is being questioned 
and I think legitimately, about its sense of authority and power, it seems to me a bit over the top. And that is maybe why ours is just one page inserted, black and white, in your bulletin. Back then, it may have been appropriate when the power of the church was more folded into the power of the rest of the world, but now, I don't think so. I think it's, it's time now for us to remind ourselves as preachers and elders and deacons and trustees and every other member of this Church of Christ this. If we claim to be a follower of Christ, then let us remember there is only one way. It is through the seldom used narrow gate of suffering servanthood. If we want something else, then we've come to the wrong parade. In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he writes, Let each of you look now not to your own interest, but to the interest of others, and let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As I call forward the names of our to-be-newly-ordained-and-installed elders and deacons, and then call forward the names of our trustees to be commissioned, let us remember these words from Paul. I would like to thank especially the classes that have served in this stead until this day, and especially Mary Spooler, who has served as our clerk for three years. Thank you. From that point on, Mary Cox will be serving as our active clerk of session.